Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge, direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. This is a pretty exciting episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast. I got to talk to the Delta development team where they share a little bit of their story of developing their new product, the Autonomous Portable Refrigeration Unit, or APRU for short. So be sure to check them out, deltadevteam.com, and enjoy this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast. Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast. This is your host and founder at Greenlight Guru, John Spear, and kind of excited about this one because I get to talk to one of our Greenlight Guru customers. And today I'm going to be talking with uh, Monty Leha and Robert Futch. Uh, both are with Delta Development, and or Delta Development team, rather. So gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. And uh, th- thanks for bringing us on today. Absolutely. And also joining me is going to be one of our medical device gurus at Greenlight Guru, Wade Schroeder. Uh, Wade's been working pretty closely with the Delta development team. So Wade, I want to make sure you get a chance to say hello to the listeners as well. Hello, everyone. And and yeah, thank you, John, for including me as well. It's been great working with these guys. So I'm excited for this. All right. So Monty and Robert, we're going to certainly dive into some details and, and learn a lot more about this real exciting product that Uh, you're launching here in a moment. But before we do that, do you mind giving a little bit of background about yourselves and a little bit about the Delta development team? Yeah, sure. Um, This is Monty. A little bit about myself is I was in the Army for a long time. I retired maybe four or five years ago and went on this contracting work supporting still the military and tactical medical training. That is my expertise. And then a little and some prolonged field care. And as we went along training, I ran into some guys that now we formed a Delta development team and they were looking to build a device that would keep, you know, whole blood cold for a duration. And they brought me in and asked me some questions on if this was feasible and would the military use it. And with all my experience, I was like, yeah, they would use it. They would love it. Like they need it right now so i said where can they go buy it and they're like well we haven't made it yet we just have this idea <laughs> uh so uh awesome. anyways that's kind of how we started out was they wanted to make a refrigeration device but they didn't know how it would be applied in the military setting and that's the piece i brought uh, with it well i appreciate your service monty and and thanks for that background as well and uh, that's he's got about the whole story there it was uh, uh bill and chris and i that started in uh uh, 2018, and, and we saw these, you know, a few tendrils of interest from, you know, SBR projects and, and proposals going out, but nobody had really made it all the way yet. You know, nobody had developed this device to the level that uh, the customers were looking for. And and so that's that's what we set out to do uh, back in 2018. And, and through a, a mutual friend, uh, we, we found Monty here and, uh, and that, that completed the team. And so, Robert, I'm a little bit curious about that. So it's the way you described or the way I heard you describe it anyway, it's, it's like you were just constantly looking at all these SBR requests and you kept seeing the theme. I mean, it's probably a little bit more complicated than that, but 
Is that more or less how you decided to dive into this this particular product area? It is. I guess it's a combination of a lot of, of themes that came together. Uh, uh, Bill and I worked at uh, another uh, refrigeration design company. Uh, I was I was there for seven years. He was there for a little bit longer, and uh, so so we had a lot of experience in uh, medical refrigerators uh, and and their applications with uh, vaccines, including uh, vaccine distribution with the World Health Organization. And we were already familiar with the whole process of uh, you know keeping an eye out for more. SBARs and proposals from the World Health Organization. And uh, then that's when we started seeing more of this trend from just looking for these vaccine solutions to also looking for blood transport solutions. Okay, terrific. We might as well just, I guess, uh, dive right in and talk about your your new exciting product. Uh, and, and, you know, we can chat about the the finer points and details regarding that so i guess tell me about this new device that that um you're you know on the cusp of launching or maybe you already have launched and and now it's just time to to continue to spread the word so what is the name of this this new product it is the autonomous portable refrigeration unit uh, the apru so we call it you know around here we just call it the apru to shorten that but this device why it's special or it's different is the fact that one, it's small compared to uh, devices out there. It runs on a battery. That's kind of the, the second important thing. And with our end user feedback, with of course that's the military going back and forth with them on how they want this to function and perform. It's special in the sense of. Like a regular refrigerator, if you can imagine any refrigerator you have out there, you can't just throw it in the back of a vehicle. You can't just throw it on a helicopter and drive out to the desert or into the Arctic on a military mission and expect it to perform. So what we've done is we've miniaturized this refrigerator so that you could put it on a helicopter, a vehicle, take it anywhere in 115 degree heat, dust, rain, on a boat with water, and it will still function. So really, it's it's designed for uh, military operations, uh, and it can run on a battery, right? Because when the military goes places, they don't always have somewhere to plug things in. So it'll run on a battery for a few days until they can find a place to charge it, wow. or they just plug it in the vehicle if they have vehicles. Well, that's pretty impressive. I mean, I, I don't. I'll be honest. I don't know a ton about refrigeration. Except that I think I've heard that, you know, in my home, the refrigerator is the largest consumer of power in my entire house. Uh, I don't know if that's accurate. Of course, both you guys can fact check me on that one. But but I, I, I do think this is uh, accurate. A refrigerator requires a lot of power. Uh, and so the fact that this product that you've developed can run for days on battery, that's pretty impressive. That, that was one of the, the major innovations. And, and I'll say you're right. It's, it's probably one of the biggest uh, power consumers actually in your house. Uh, the, the second biggest is right outside your house. That's the air conditioning, right? Yeah, both require some sort of refrigeration of some sort. So give me a exactly. sense of how big this, this product is. I mean, what's, what kind of footprint we're talking? I mean, granted, it's, it's not, I'm, I'm gathering, Monty, it's not the same size as the refrigerator in my house because that's impractical for storage uh-huh. and transport. But what, what kind of size are we talking about? I would say like um, a medium, small to medium uh, toolbox that you carry your tools in that you could physically carry yourself. 
So one person can carry this. It's only 30 pounds. Uh, okay. So one person can, can move it around. I think it's a 17 by 19 inch, 10 inch. Yeah. But complete. You know, we, uh, we started with was we, uh, uh, we, we showed a concept of it to, uh, to the 48th rescue squadron here in town. And, and they said, Hey, can you make it as small as an ammo box? And so that was sort of our, our starting point. <laughs> All right. Um, and, you know, I have a, a pretty good idea for, for some of the military uses for this, but, but I guess um, at the risk of not just making assumptions and, and letting our listeners know, what all would the military use this sort of device for? Well, specifically, the military wants to use it for, you know, carrying blood products on missions to closest possible to the injuries because uh, we know that the sooner our casualties get whole blood when they've been bleeding a lot, uh, the better the outcome. So it makes a huge difference to get, you know, blood products on your casualties as soon, soon as possible. That's one. The other use would be something, you know, they could put their vaccines in there. They could put temperature control medications like uh, Rocky Ronium as well. So there's there's other medical products they could put in there, but the military specifically is looking for a reliable way to keep their whole blood uh, at temperature until needed. And anywhere in the world, you know, okay. this is ready to go to the Arctic. Wow. And I mean, I, I can't help but think in, in current times, you know, we're all uh, still uh, dealing with uh, the glo global pandemic of COVID-19. Uh, as I see the product and as I, you know, watch the short video that's on your website and folks, by the way, you can check out more about the Delta development team and the APRU product. You can go to Delta dev dev team.com. That's all one word, no spaces, no hyphens. And then if you want to see the APRU unit, just put a slash APRU at the end of that, but Delta dev team.com slash APRU. But as I look at this, it seems though that there might be some sort of application in our current normal non-military uh, needs of, of the world today too. Have you thought about uh, those potential applications with this product? Yes, we're actually today. I just shipped one out to uh, a government agency supporting the uh, Navajo nation COVID-19 response. So I just shipped one out there for them to uh, put it through its ropes to give us feedback, and they're going to be using it to carry their uh, their samples to back to the lab for testing. All right. And then the other use is with the EMS as well is really interested in our product because it meets all the AAB guidelines and the FDA regulations, which there is very few, if any, devices that meet all those intents. And so anyways, EMS is also looking at a way, even though they're carrying their whole blood actually now in different types of devices, they don't really meet the regulations uh, like but, ours will. But that was one thing I, I wanted to share here is that uh, there's been, you know, it's not just this interest in the military, uh, but there's been some experiments around the country right now notably in San Antonio and, and Houston now, where uh, they've just started experimenting with bringing blood to people in need. So a, a little bit of background is that uh, normally, if you get in some kind of serious injury, uh, you know, the ambulance comes out, they pick you up, and they try to stabilize you, and then they 
hope that you survive on the way back to the hospital, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the, the new plan is uh, what if they could just treat you on site? What if they could bring the blood to you? Then you've got a much better chance of surviving. But what's missing from this equation, how do they get the blood to you safely? Right, for sure. Really, really cool. All right, so gentlemen, when you came up with this idea and you decided to pursue this, what did you know about being a medical device and FDA regulations? <laughs> We're still learning. <laughs> <laughs> so not much initially. That's that's a big one. I, I'd say our, uh, our our foremost expert here on, on the regulation was uh, Bill when we started. And uh, uh, Bill had previously been through ISO 9001 regulation for their medical device manufacturing facility, but had never done ISO 1345 or they, you know, they never did uh, 14971. There's, so, so this was a totally new world for all of us where we had to really quickly, uh, you know, come up with this whole uh, quality management system and find a way to manage all of this uh, regulation from all of these different standards organizations uh, I don't think we realized what we got ourselves into when we started. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's usually the case. I think every time uh, somebody goes through the medical device uh, journey for the first time, is like, oh my goodness. But now that you've done it, I mean, or, or in the process of doing it, I, I guess I'll bring in Wade on this too. Wade, you've been working pretty closely with Monty and Robert and the rest of the Delta development team. What are some of the obstacles and challenges that you saw as you were working with them as their medical device guru? They actually, they tackled really a lot of it very well. A lot of it was just being aware of certain things. I think a lot of our conversations, even recent ones have been around, what else should I be watching out for? Or, you know, what's a good way of doing this that we haven't thought about yet and different things like that. So becoming aware of of a lot of it has been a lot of what I've seen, but I'll, I'll pass it over to you guys. What recommendations would you guys give to other people that are in a similar situation? Well, I, I think we've definitely found the the right set of tools to to make this happen. Uh, in, in both in terms of uh, you know finding finding the right consultants, uh, finding the right team members, uh, finding the right standards management tools, and of course you know Wade, you've been one of our major assets. Uh, getting all of this together, the only way that we could have brought all these, all of this regulation together and, and actually completed all of this now uh, in such a, a short amount of time was to have all the right tools at hand. Folks, I want to remind you, I'm talking with Monty Leha. He's the CEO of Delta Development Team. And I'm also talking with Robert Futch. He's the CTO at Delta Development Team. And again, you can learn a whole bunch more about their APRU unit by going to deltadevteam.com slash APRU. Uh, we're talking a little bit about their journey as a medical device company and getting ingrained and indoctrined, so to speak, into all things FDA. And they've been a green light customer now for a bit. And you know, I encourage you all if you're, you know, whether this is your first time or you've done this many times before. The Greenlight Guru medical device quality management system software platform is designed to help you, and it's designed in a way that helps you be as efficient as you possibly can be while incorporating those must-have criteria from a design and development standpoint and risk and document management as well as all your post-market needs. So if you're interested in learning more about how we might be able to help you, go to www.greenlight.guru to learn more. 
request a demo. We'd be thrilled to have a conversation with you to see if there might be something we can do to help you. All right. So, gentlemen, I, I guess talk about this journey a little bit more. Like, you know, when you started, obviously, it was an idea. Robert Monty, you talked about having this this idea and, you know, finding each other and figuring out a way to design and prototype and it, it eventually reduce this to practice. But that's just kind of the beginning. You know, you talked about meeting the AABB regulations and FDA regulations. And, and I assume that somewhere along the way, there were different submissions that involved government agencies in some way, shape, or form. So talk a little bit about that experience. Uh, well, we, we've got our uh, FDA registration coming up here. And I, I can tell you uh, one thing is that I, I feel well prepared for it now. It's been a long learning journey, but you know, because we've had the right tools at hand, I can, uh, I, I can confidently say that we're well prepared for FDA audits and for, for the FDA registration of this uh, medical device. Okay. And what was uh, maybe one of the surprises? I mean, of course, learning about design controls and risk, I'm sure that was one and what a quality management system is. Although one of your colleagues, as you mentioned, had the 9001 experience. So there's a lot of parallels between that and 1345. But as you started to really get into this, what were some of the biggest surprises that you encountered that, that you weren't anticipating? Well, I say um, on my part is talking to the end users and then taking out the device because you know we had our ideas and they gave us their ideas and then we made this little we made this prototype. And then we took this prototype out to them and said, all right, you play with this and they're like, well, we would like it to do this. This is actually how we're, these are our real challenges that we face. Like, uh, like most of these devices, these mobile devices and these other ways they carry whole blood, they work very well in, you know, 80 degree Fahrenheit weather there. Everybody performs pretty well, except for when you get to 110 Fahrenheit, then it crushes all these devices. So we've really pushed our standard or we've really pushed for this device to work at 110 Fahrenheit where most devices are getting crushed with the the heat and the sun. And so I guess that's one of the big learning points we took away was how are these other devices doing this and they're putting it in their their marketing and they're posting it. And then comes to find out they're testing at 80 Fahrenheit, like the optimal temperature to test these things yeah. to get their numbers, you know? And so the guys were taking these devices up to Africa and they're like, Hey, this thing is not even lasting four hours. What's going on. And then we go find out why it is. So what we're trying to do here is, you know, really expand the amount of time they have autonomy uh, to hold their, their blood in Africa, right. In the, the places where it's yeah. very, you don't know what kind of power you're going to get. It's unpredictable. It's austere. And that's what we're designing to. Mm-hmm. Well, and that, that's you know interesting to me because, I mean, I don't want to say it's easy, but it seems like it would be relatively easy to design a product for ideal conditions. Uh, and, and I'm not asking you to speculate why others didn't uh, tackle this challenge before. Maybe it was because the the criteria and the requirements were just too stringent. But it seems to me you this. I mean, you fell into a sort of a sweet spot, Robert. And maybe this is the whole motivation to begin with: is that you you know that the the need is for those extreme uh, situations and extreme environmental conditions. 
talk a little bit about some of the the testing that you had to do. I mean, were there standards that already existed for these? Did you have to come up with your own methodologies? Yeah, well, I think there's there's two parts there. It's that we wanted to go the difficult route, the one that nobody's completed yet, of meeting these extreme uh, environment requirements. But also, we're we're going the the difficult route of meeting all of the standards, right? Uh, there there are some standards for uh, mobile medical devices like this, and uh, and and people just uh, are are choosing not to meet them right now uh, because they can get away with devices that don't quite work as well, right? And and we want to go the the more difficult route of actually having a device that that meets the standards, so that our device is the new standard. Terrific, Wade. I know you you've been working with the guys very closely through all of this. You know, you have that electrical engineering background as well. Did you get involved with like some of the IEC testing and and providing advice and recommendations to them? Yeah, we we definitely talked about that. Robert and I uh, got into six hundred six hundred one quite a bit there. Yeah, but yeah, it definitely definitely brought me back to my electrical engineering day. So I enjoyed that, and it, it was a great opportunity to use my experience to help these guys out. Um, but they've just been phenomenal. I, the, the amount of work that, that Robert does between each meeting that we have once a month, it has just been absolutely impressive. You know, because I've developed products that, you know, to Monty's uh, description a moment ago, could, were really designed to work in ideal situations, 80 degrees or, or what have you. And I've gone through the IEC 60601 battery of testing for a device that that doesn't have these extreme conditions. And I know how hard it is to get a product through the testing just for those that, you know, quote, simple circumstances. My goodness, I can't even imagine how complicated this was <laughs> with the extreme conditions you guys are dealing with. Well, you're, you're right. We, we just got done with the uh, 60601 testing uh, on this device and also IEC 61010. So, so we did both of those for this device. And of course, what's the number one surprise you always run into is uh, electromagnetics, right? Yeah, EMC is 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 a beast. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> the last product I worked on, I, I think we had the, uh, and this is nerd talk for a moment, and and um, I may sound like I know more than I'm talking about, but bear with me for a moment. Um, we had uh, the inside of the enclosure had a a nickel a nickel paint for conductivity, but then we had the entire electronic package all wrapped in Kapton tape. And it, I don't know how we got everything into that container, but you know that was one of those <laughs> scenarios that we found out after the fact, very late in the process. So how did you avoid these gotchas? Because you know, if you have your form factor already pretty right. well defined, you know, it's got to be an ammo box. It's not like you can make it uh, the size of a large cooler. You know, how, how did you deal with all of these different d- design challenges? I'd say that was one of the the major surprises because we're you know we're we're mostly uh, mechanical engineers here. We've got some electrical and and material science as well. Uh, so you you could tell that most of us were excited. Ooh, let's build the box. Let's design what it's going to look like, right? And then uh, and then we get to the end and we're like, oh yeah, we have to do uh, EMC testing, right? Uh, of course, that's in our our design controls. We we were somewhat prepared. You know, we had our electromagnetically protected screen overlay. Uh, and we had some idea of what we might need, uh, so we so we showed up to the first day of uh, electromagnetic testing, and uh, they they tell us that you know we've we've got some uh, some areas of the spectrum to work on, 
but we we came back with a uh, uh, what we called our ENC Ultra unit. You know, it has every possible ENC protection you can think of, probably like uh, like your device, right? We wrapped the whole thing in the uh, yeah. EMC, yeah, the EMC tape, and we had the EMC shielding connectors and the and the uh, the paint that you were talking about. You know, and so we did the whole the whole thing, right? And uh, even even after all of that, it still didn't pass. And so now, you know, like every every time you get into EMC, we're pulling our hair out. What is the issue? Come to find out that it was uh, just a uh, it, it was it was just a, a, a data a data speed issue. the uh, the baud rate on on one of our devices on the board, and just uh, just changing the speed just a little bit was enough to flatten out the entire spectrum. Well, right? that's that's awesome. I mean, so a, a minor code change in the firmware is way better than than having to go do a rebuild. It is. So so right after that, we went through and we. Uh, then we're like, okay, well, do we still need the EMI paint? Take that out. Nope, it still works. We take out the shielded connectors, and it still works. And we take out, you know, so so we got to go down the list and uh, eliminate all of these protections that we had in there beforehand, just in case we needed them, uh, which was a huge benefit for us because it reduces uh, complexity and cost and and uh, uh, failure points where we didn't need all of these other uh, EMC protections because we found the root of the problem. Yeah, and I love that, uh, Robert, because I think a lot of times companies are just putting uh, tape and uh, suspenders and belts and all kinds of things uh, to try to get through (laughs) that. Um, but I don't think they do the the due diligence and actually getting to that root cause. And and so, you know, to replay what I heard you just say, you you found that root cause and then you were able to back off until, you know, you found the right configuration of everything. And and I got to imagine that there was probably some challenge in this because Monty didn't say this exactly, but kind of what I heard is you would build some early prototypes, you would field test them, get the feedback. So you had this form factor that that the market that the, your users are pretty comfortable with. And so now you're sort of fixed to that footprint, so to speak. So did that create any sort of uh, unforeseen challenges as well? I, I, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult. You have to either uh, come up with the box first or come up with your EMC de- design first, right? And is it a, it's a chicken or the egg situation. <laughs> so, uh, but, but the, the way that, uh, the way that we we started was we 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 did have this form factor uh, and and something that our users really liked. It fits in their helicopter. It fits in their Humvees. You know, uh, it fits in their ambulances. Uh, and and then we, uh, you know, we we did leave room for the electromagnetic solutions, not not just in the physical form factor, but in the price as well, right? Like we we had already talked to our customers about uh, here's what we expect the price to be. And and if we had to make some huge changes in the you know in EMC components, then that would be a bit of a surprise to the customer later if it was a much bigger price, right? <laughs> in addition to being For sure. bigger. For sure. All right. Um, so uh, let let folks know you know kind of where you are. I mean, it sounds like some units are out in the field or about to to be sent to the field. But where are you in this journey to commercialization? Really close, um, <laughs> but. No, we are we are very very close. We are looking January, uh, January February to have these our first production models actually out. Uh, so that's how close we are. We got our all our prototypes, or we we have a prototype that's going up north of us. We have one 
that's actually in training right now in Wake Forest Special Operations. We're going to send a prototype out to Afghanistan for uh, more end-user feedback. I don't know how much we can change on what we have on our prototype right now, but uh, we are getting a lot more uh, data from our end-users. And these are our validation events, right? Yeah. All right. So, so that's that's a big part of uh, uh, you know of the whole design control process, uh, validating at the end, and and we're doing that at, at uh, we've got a lot of opportunities to do it at this event in Wake Forest and Afghanistan and with the Navajo Nation. So, uh, it's I, I feel like we've got a lot of opportunity, maybe more than is uh, normal, to to be able to validate our product really well. All right. Any other things about Delta Development Team and the APRU unit that you think it's really important to share with listeners that we haven't covered so far? You see, we've covered pretty much all of it. Just know that this is designed to withstand rigorous military operations is the whole design behind this. And it's been this effort's been going on for almost over two years, right? Yeah, so can, I think we'll, so. It could be dropped from a C-130 with a chute on it, and if the chute fails to deploy, you're still good. Yeah, you will. That's, it might crack. That's pretty ru- it's pretty it's, rugged. Yeah, it might crack, but it's still going to run. It's still going to function. It's still going to. That's cool. Uh, it's still going to keep everything cold until you can get back and tape it up or uh, get it replaced. But it's still going to run if it, you know. If it gets damaged, it's not going to be any issues. So I, I, I guess that's the ultimate drop test. <laughs> it is, yeah. We, we we did some drop testing already, but it was only from uh, you know a, a few feet up. Yeah, uh, but but we we are expecting it to be able to survive you know pair drops as well. Yeah, yeah. and uh, some of our end users I just talked to last week, they're excited that it can, it is airdroppable. The other thing they're looking at is you know as the military moves forward with a lot of this uh, drones, the big drones, the little drones that they will be able to put this under a drone or on a drone, however they want to do it. And Mm -hmm. and, then be able to ship this uh, blood out to as far as the drone will go. So uh, that's another big benefit we're we're looking at where they can have all these APRUs uh, charged, ready to go. And then when they get the call, they just got to go link it up onto the drone and send it out. Yeah, that was, uh, that was one thing. I don't know if you guys heard uh, about the, it was the very first transport of an organ. I think it was in Boston that happened. You guys hear about that? I did not. Uh, go uh, ahead. Please tell us was, more. It was, uh, it was the very first transport of a, an organ by drone. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was Boston. I have to go find the article again. Uh, but they, they transported it in... A, uh, in a cooler just with ice in it, right? Yeah. And so we've got this interesting mix of high-tech and low-tech uh, <laughs> right there. <laughs> I mean, it seems like, uh, you know, if this becomes more common, it seems like you have the ideal product for those types of needs as well. That's, that's what I'm thinking, you know, in the, in the future where, where this becomes more prevalent, where people are, you know, flying drones between cities or around yeah. cities, and, and, and they need a high-tech solution to keep their, you know, the organs cold in transport. This is exactly it here. We're, we're already prepared for the future. I, I have a twisted sense of humor sometimes, but I was just thinking Amazon Prime for, for organs, um, you know, with jo- yeah, drone yeah. delivery, right? So maybe maybe that's in our future. Um, gentlemen, how can 
I and how can Wade and how can our listeners of the Global Medical Device Podcast, what can we do to, to help your cause? Well, uh, we're, we're trying to uh, start, start making people aware of the technology that's available right now where, uh, you know, previously people weren't thinking about providing blood in the field just because it wasn't technically possible. Uh, but, but now that we do have the technology, uh, you know, there's, there's also the policy change, the procedure change, uh, all of that that comes along with the new technology uh, and the education around uh, people being able to give uh, blood in the field in order to save more lives. So, so it's a lot more than just the technology that comes along with it. It's uh, we, we've got to bring out the education and the policy changes to uh, to make this possible to save more lives. Awesome. All right, folks, this is your challenge is to spread the word about the Delta Development Team's APRU device just to create awareness because uh, I'm I can imagine there's a lot of other needs beyond those we've just talked to. And, and Wade, since I have you on on this episode as well. Uh, you and I have chatted. All good things, Robert and and Monty. So bear with me for a moment. But, but you've shared, you know, how every time you get off the phone with these guys, how excited you are because of how they take this the challenge on. Some of the things they they know. Some of them they're learning for the first time. But they just to your point earlier, they just, they they do their homework. They they do the due diligence. They do the work. What. Uh, attributes or how would you describe the things that the De- Delta development team has done really well and, and turn that into tips and pointers that others uh, should embrace as part of their journey to bring new medical products to market? Oh man, there, there's too many to count. Um, I guess to, to think of a few, just willingness to, to take on something new has been really impressive. Uh, you know, every time we talk about design controls and, and risk, you know, I mentioned something else that uh, verification validation comes to mind when I mentioned, you know, how to put a protocol together and, you know, then put it on a report and Robert's like, Oh yeah, that sounds great. We'll, we'll be right on that, you know, and it's the the willingness to to do new things and, and do what's right. You know, don't look for the easy way out and do the right thing. I think has really helped these guys be so successful and meet their timelines. I, one of the things that I think is so impressive about them, it was about a year ago when I started working with these guys and they had a, a really aggressive timeline um, with this. And I, I was impressed that they've been able to keep that timeline pretty much, you know, to the, to the T, whereas a lot of other products I, I've worked on in the past and I, I've heard about in the past, it's really hard to keep that. So I've been really impressed with that. And Monty and Robert, as you've shared more about the Delta development team story and, and the challenge that you set out to tackle, it's inspiring to me that you just didn't accept status quo um, for this particular product space and, and that you realized that the challenge uh, that you were facing was had never been tackled by anyone before, and and it was really aggressive, and and I can imagine it was pretty trying and and frustrating at times. But you stuck with it, and and you built something that's really an awesome product. So you're to be commended for that. It's inspiring, as I said. Yeah, I'd like to add to to that what you guys are saying, and I'll give you the the reason why we are pushing so hard is because. Our end users, you know, specifically the military, special operations, they wanted this device two years ago to start making a difference on the battlefield, right? To start saving lives. And 
every day I came into work, I was pushing these. I'm like, they want it right now. <laughs> and Rob's like, yeah, impossible. They cannot have it right now. And I'm like, right now. And then three months later, I'm like, uh, is it ready to go? Let's go. They're ready for it. They, they, they you know, they want it right now. And he's like, no, no. So uh, the reason, I mean, the biggest reason why we really pushed this hard is because we know it's going to make a difference and they want this product right right now, like two years ago. Uh, but we want it right. And I think Wade, you said that, you know, we want to make sure this is a good device, very reliable device. Last thing we want to do is send this device on the battlefield and the blood goes out of temperature range and then it's no good. And now, you know, the person that donated the blood, they donated it, that's lost. Uh, the casualty that needed it, that's lost. The medic loses confidence in his ability to save his casualties because, you know, something happened for the, you know, with the blood. So, I mean, there's, there is the device itself, but then it's the purpose of, you know, we want to be able to save some lives, but we also want to make sure the blood actually is good to go when they get there. So I just want to add that part. I love it, Monty. And I think that's, that's why good, it's rushed. Yeah, no, I think it's a great way to wrap up this episode too. It's really about improving the quality of life. Uh, and, and that's why, you know, I get up every day excited uh, to be a part of the Greenlight Guru team. And I know that's a big part of why Wade is here is we get to work with companies like the Delta development team who are out on a mission to build products and technologies to, to save lives. And this is really awesome. So, uh, help me in thanking uh, Monte Leha, CEO, and Robert Futch, CTO from the Delta Development Team, for joining me on this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast. Thank you, guys. Thank you. And folks, as I mentioned, Greenlight Guru is here to help. Uh, you've heard from uh, one of our medical device gurus, Wade. You, uh, hopefully, you know a little bit about the medical device quality management system software platform. It's the only medical device quality management software on the market today. It's been designed exclusively and specifically for the medical device industry by actual medical device professionals like Wade Schroeder and myself, as well as the rest of our other gurus. So be sure you go learn more about how we can help you by visiting www.greenlight.guru. As always, thank you so much for being a loyal listener of the Global Medical Device Podcast, the number one podcast in the medical device industry. And as I mentioned a few moments ago, you have some homework uh, to help the Delta development team spread the word, get the awareness out about their new APRU product. So share this with your friends and colleagues. And as always, thank you. And until next time, this is your host and founder at Greenlight Guru. And you have John Spear, and you have been listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast. <laughs>